Now we have, we are honored today to have more members of the Distinguished State Senate. Senator Katrina Sheely from Lexington. Hoorah. Senator Shane Massey from Edgefield. Senator Tom Davis from Buford. And Senator Ronnie Saab from Kingstree. They are here to give us their thoughts on legislative session and local issues. Mayor Rick Osborne of Aiken, the association's second vice president, will moderate the discussion this morning. Mayor Good morning, everyone. And to our distinguished guests, we want to say thank you for taking time out of your busy day. We know you have uh, committees and other things that you'll have to get back over to the State House for, but we appreciate you taking the time to be with us and share some opinions and some ideas. Uh, I'm going to open up by letting each one of you, if you don't mind, uh, as, as uh, the, the Senate President did, take a minute and introduce and let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do. So we'll start right here, Sam. Thank you. And uh, I'll give in to that. Uh, help. <laughs> yep. Thank you. So uh, let me express my appreciation for the opportunity to come and and, and hang out with you all this morning. I, I appreciate what, what all of you do. Um, and I appreciate the presentation from, from our president. I think it's always better for us to kind of get to know each other. Uh, and then we kind of uh, establish a foundation by which we can begin to, to build relationships. Relationships are not only important as it relates to the municipal uh, folks and, and the Senate, it's important for senators as well and, uh, and certainly have enjoyed getting to know our president over the years. So I'm Ronnie Saab. I was born and reared in Greeleyville, South Carolina. Um, I currently live in, in King Street. Um, went to law school at the University of, of Florida, went to undergrad at Voorhees in Denmark, South Carolina. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, serving in the uh, legislature. I came into the House in uh, 2010 um, served for four years and came, well, ran for the Senate actually in a special election uh, when then uh, Senator uh, Yancey McGill became the lieutenant governor. Uh, it created a vacancy. I ran and was fortunately uh, elected. I currently represent Williamsburg County, Georgetown County, uh, some of Florence, some of Berkeley, and some of Ori. And so we're delighted to be here uh, with you this morning and look forward to uh, our conversation. Shane Massey. I live in Edgefield. I'm a big city boy. Um, I was elected to the Senate in a special election in 2007, um, which seems like it was yesterday, but it was a long time ago. I guess I still feel like I'm one of the kids in the group, um, but, um, but now I'm one of the more senior members, which is just kind of strange for me to think about. Uh, but I represent um, 
five counties. I've got portions of Aiken, Edgefield, Lexington, McCormick, and Saluda counties. Uh, big district, uh, but it's a rural district, which is why it's big, right? So, um, so I get to see a lot of different things within my district because there's a lot of there's a lot of difference between downtown Lexington and McCormick. Um, there's a lot of difference between Saluda and Aiken. Uh, so it's pretty pretty diverse district, which is it's nice. I I enjoy that, but I get to see a lot of South Carolina just in my little small my little small pocket. Um, but um, I uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I got invited. I'm a little bit nervous about why I got invited, but um, <laughs> this is good. And Mayor, good hey, good to be Senator, with you. I'm Katrina Sheely. And I'm from Lexington County, and I only represent Lexington County, which makes me feel kind of bad because they represent five counties. But um, Lexington County is really big, so we actually have five senators that represent part of Lexington County. And if you look around here, uh, Senator uh, Massey just said he was one of the senior members, but he really is a child because he's one of the youngest members, too. He's the same age as my daughter, which I'm not going to tell you how old that makes me. But... Uh, <laughs> They're all attorneys. I am not an attorney, nor do I play one on TV. I don't want to be one. Um, so I am a business person. So like many of you out there, I'm a business person. Um, I am the chairman of the Family and Veterans Affairs Committee in the Senate, and I also serve on judiciary, corrections and penology, banking and insurance, and something else. I can't remember. A lot of things. It's, just, it's the light. It, it right. is. I mean, that light is I feel like, like I'm being interrogated. It's like you're, you're I'm going to start sweating profusely any minute now, so don't ask me any serious questions. But I am honored to be here, and I look forward to uh, talking with you and, and sharing any information we can, or you just asking us questions and interrogating us since it's, it feels like this. Senator Davis, it's your turn now to introduce turn. Okay, yourself. Thank you. I'm sorry I'm a little bit late. There was some traffic on the way up on 95, but um, uh, very proud in my particular district to have five very robust municipalities uh, that are actively engaged in our community. Hilton Head, Bluffton, Hardyville, Port Royal, and Beaufort. Um, I love working with all the council members. Um, I engage with all of them on a regular basis. They're very attuned to what we're doing here in Columbia. In particular, right now, the, the business license fee legislation letting me know, you know just how much reliance that they place on that of necessity because of the legislature over time constraining their fiscal options and making sure that we're aware of that issue as we discuss it. Um, I've encouraged them to not only play defense on this or to you know, try to protect, but also to use it as an opportunity for a broader conversation about how you can diversify your revenue bases and how you can go ahead and, and maybe pick a revenue stream that best fits your community. So um, I've got great municipal leaders. Um, love the fact that they're up here in Columbia and look forward to talking to you guys. Uh, thank each one of you for that. Uh, we're going to start. Sen Senator Peeler uh, kind of spoke of some of the issues that he, he saw coming up in the uh, upcoming session or the current session. Uh, would each one of you kind of touch on maybe the issues that, are, that you have a passion for and, and uh, where you see it maybe reaching it by the end of the session? We'll start, we'll start with the start they, Okay, well, I, I think, you know, right now, uh, the things that predominate the discussion um, are revenue-related, budget-related. Last year, we had a general fund budget of about $9.3 billion. Uh, this year, we're going to have an additional $1.8 billion on top of that. Um, roughly half of it is recurring. 
And so I think a large part of the conversation is going to center around what do you do with that recurring revenue stream? What are our priorities? Um, Governor McMaster, I think, did a good job in the state of the state laying out what his priorities are, and, and they more or less match up with what mine are. Um, I, I do think that um, he's right that simply because we collect these revenues, simply because sales tax and income tax and corporate tax collectives are up, it doesn't mean we have to spend all of it. So I, I like the fact that he talks about returning a sizable portion of that in terms of a, uh, a permanent rollback in some of the income tax rates. Um, I think he's also right to focus on uh, classroom teacher pay as something that we ought to focus on. We have a retention and recruitment problem here in South Carolina. Um, I think education and healthcare are probably front and center of the things we take up here in Columbia. Um, I like the fact that he's dedicating a sizable portion of the recurring revenues uh, toward classroom teachers. And I think lastly, um, in terms of that recurring revenue, the focus on law enforcement, corrections, things of that nature, I think that's a pretty good blueprint for how that recurring revenue um, should, be, should be handled. You know, some tax relief, um, helping our classroom teachers, and then helping law enforcement and public safety. Um, there are other issues, obviously, and, and my colleagues here will discuss them. We're going to talk about uh, Santee Cooper. We're going to talk about whether or not that publicly owned utility uh, ought to be sold to an IOU, whether or not it should be managed by an outside consulting company, or whether we can work with Santee Cooper and have how they do business reformed and keep it state-owned. That, I think, is going to be a robust conversation. I think once it hits uh, in the Senate and the House within the next week, I think, um, that's going to suck a lot of the energy out of the room because it is such a massive undertaking. So it starts with the budget, um, but other things like uh, Santee Cooper, health care, um, education reform, things of that nature, um, it's going to be a busy session. So I think, really, Senator Davis has covered uh, quite a bit. I guess I would just uh, underscore and, and try to make two points uh, to, to add to, uh, to the educational piece. And one of the points that, that I would like to make and that, that I've been attempting to make as we begin to, to discuss what we ought to do with, uh, with the $1.8, $1.9 million surplus that we've got this year, <clears throat> excuse me, is, you know, we've got a, a situation in South Carolina where there are the school districts that have and there are the others that have not. Uh, there are the school districts that are able to continue to build schools uh, because of the growing population and because of, uh, of the industries that are locating there. And then there are those other areas um, that are actually losing population, um, are not attracting the businesses that some of the other areas are attracting. And so consequently, those uh, students are going to school in uh, buildings that were built in the 50s, uh, where um, Internet reception is a challenge. Um, and so uh, I think uh, that we've got an opportunity as a General Assembly to make some generational changes uh, in those areas. And so I think we ought to allocate uh, some of those funds to helping those rural areas be able to build schools. Uh, because absent assistance from the state, uh, the likelihood is that those children uh, 20 years from now uh, will still be in the same kinds of classrooms with the same kind of uh, broadband internet type challenges and those kinds of things. And so uh, actually I've kind of covered both in one. And so one would, would be I think we've got an opportunity to build uh, schools in those areas uh, so that our children can walk in uh, proud of their environment uh, and then able to connect with the rest of the world through the internet. And so then that really kind of brings me to my second point. Uh, we still have areas in South Carolina uh, that don't have uh, broadband. Uh, internet, those kinds of services, and 
And, and so it's the same problem. Uh, it's the old problem of the, the haves and the have-nots, uh, the rural versus the urban, uh, where the uh, areas are sparsely uh, populated. And so to my way of thinking, this is where the state comes in uh, because the companies say uh, that we don't have that many people uh, that are uh, connecting. And therefore, uh, to make the investment, it becomes difficult for us to recoup the investment. Uh, I say that we ought to help them build the infrastructure uh, because they're able to maintain it uh, with fewer customers uh, once it's built. And so I believe this idea of, uh, of grants that help um, to create uh, those opportunities through building facilities ought to be a direction that we ought to go. Mind you, I just focused on the budget and the opportunities. There's much more that we could discuss, but I wanted to leave something for our leader here. So. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, like I think, I think the things that uh, President Peeler touched on earlier is, is right. I, mean, I, I think there are three major issues. He called them the three bears, but um, Gaffanese is something with him. You kind of got to speak a different language, but... Um, but, but no, I, th I think he's right. I, I, you know, we came out of the gate in the Senate talking about education, K-12 educational issues. We, today we will start our fourth week of talking about K-12 education, um, which seems like a long time. It, it is a long time. Last week we finally had a little bit of a break in that we finally got a vote on the First Amendment last week. Um, so th that was good, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm hopeful now that we'll start making a little bit more progress um, toward a resolution at some point, but, but we wanted that to be the first priority because it's, it's, it's education, so it should be the first priority, right? Uh, but that's a, that's a big issue, and um, we spent some time on that already. We're going to spend some more time on it, um, and I think even after this bill is finished, there are going to be other pieces of legislation dealing with education. This isn't a one-time, you deal with it, and you move on to something else. Education is one of those things we're going to have to be dealing with on a pretty consistent basis every year. Because uh, there are lots of challenges that we need to address. There are lots of things we need to improve on. Uh, but look, y'all, I, I think it's also important to talk about, because we talk about challenges so much. Y'all, we've got some really awesome teachers who are doing a lot of great work. We've got some really good administrators, uh, superintendents, principals around the state. And we have some outstanding students. We, we tend to have a self-confidence problem sometimes in South Carolina. We talk about how bad things are. Um, and, and we certainly do have challenges. But we've got some really top-notch students, some top-notch teachers and administrators, and, and we're doing some really good things. Now, we need to get the good stuff spread out to other parts of the state, uh, but we've got a lot of good things going on uh, as well as the challenges that we have. But we're going to have to continue talking about that. Of course, Senator Davis mentioned Santee Cooper. Don't know when that report's coming from the Department of Administration. It'll probably happen, I'm guessing, sometime in the next couple weeks. Um, but when that comes... I think that's going to take a lot of time uh, on both the House and the Senate side, frankly. Uh, it's probably going to take several weeks to figure out what to do on that. And this is going to be a tough decision. And I will tell you, I've told a lot of other people this. I think this decision, and I don't know what the decision will be, but I think it's going to come down to probably a few votes in the Senate. Uh, I think the House will make a decision probably fairly quickly. Uh, everybody knows where the governor is. Ultimately, it's going to come down to the Senate, and I think it's going to be close. Uh, and so that can mean a much longer conversation. When you have close issues in the Senate, that usually means we're going to be talking a lot. Uh, so I, I, that's going to take some time. And then, of course, you've heard about the budget. You've already heard about the budget. Um, 
But I think that's going to take some time as well towards the end of the session, at least on the Senate side. I actually think that this year has the potential to be the longest budget debate that we've had in a number of years. Uh, typically, typically the House and the Senate will both pass the budget in about a week, um, probably a couple days of debate, where really, candidly, that means most people don't know what's in there, at least a lot of the details. I think this year, because of all the different programs that are being proposed, because of the money that we have, I think there's a real potential to have a longer discussion about how we spend money and what we spend money on. And I think that's good. That may draw things out a little bit more, uh, but I think it's good that we have that, that discussion so that you hear more about those things and that the public hears about those things as well. So I, I agree those are the three big issues. Hopefully we'll be able to do some other things in between some of the little bears that Senator Peeler talked about. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it has the potential to be a really busy year and then, as most of y'all know, because most of y'all in here are elected, right? This is an election year. The entire General Assembly is up. And as much as we would like to think that that doesn't play, play a role in things, the reality is that it does. And everybody knows that it does. And so, once you get into early April, after filing is over, that's going to distract a lot of people. Um, and I think that's just the reality. So, we have a shorter window in order to deal with a lot of these issues, and that makes it more of a challenge. Yes, ma'am. Gee, they've talked about everything that she was obvious. Next, they have I talked agree. about all I the agree. obvious things, okay? Everything that Senator Peeler's talked about. So I'm gonna talk about the things that aren't obvious, the things that I think are important. I think children, families, veterans, the elderly, the Department of Corrections, all those things that are underfunded, have been in the past, the things that we can't hire people for, those are important things. I think th those will come up this year. My passion, you asked what our passions were. My passion is children. My passion is the Department of Social Services. My passion is the Department of Aging. These are things that I'm going to work on. We just got a new director for the Department of Aging, Connie Mung. We just uh, confirmed her two weeks ago. No, you know, that wasn't mentioned in the state of the state, but she is confirmed she is on the job. She's going to do a good job. You know, we've got the new Department of Veterans Affairs. We are actively looking for a person to head that department. We had a good person, but that didn't work out because of a technical difficulty. But those are important things that we are going to work on in this state that that is really important. All these other things, we got to work on those. But these are other things that are underlying that trust me, I'm going to be working on those, and I am not the loudest voice in the room when you go on the Senate floor, but if you watch who's walking back and forth across the room, making sure they're looking at that ugly face, as Senator Massey will tell you, oh, Lord, Senator sheely has got that face. Please do something. Well, that's when I'm doing that. But uh, those are the things that I'm working on, children's issues, families' issues, the elderly, which we're all getting there, whether y'all like to believe it or not, you know, we're all going to get there. And South Carolina's got a large, growing elderly population, and we're not necessarily growing because we're getting there. We're growing because everybody wants to move here, because we do have a great state. And you know, maybe we need to build a wall. I don't know to keep you know, <laughs> so we can not have so many people come here, but. You know, I think these are important things that we need to look at, not just the obvious things, because we're going to talk about Santee Cooper. We're going to talk about education. 
and we sure as heck got to talk about the budget, but we got to keep all these other things in perspective too. Thank you. I, I just wanted to follow up, uh, Senator. Senator, I think. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to clap for it too. Yeah. She scares me. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to keep him that way too. Of, of our 291 cities and towns, a lot of them are rural areas. A lot of our cities have components are too. You mentioned the rural internet, and I think that's that's a big issue for our state um, as we talk about parity in our schools and distance learning. I don't necessarily think this needs to be a question for every panel member unless you want to weigh in, but are there some initiatives at the state level that we can look to that maybe we can get behind to assist as far as uh, helping provide for our state a, a comprehensive internet uh, coverage for our rural, rural areas and our cities and towns? So there, there are a couple of things that are being floated around, all of which I think are, are good ideas. Uh, one is the idea of a grant pool. Um, and, and so that idea actually originated in the House. And so in my mind, it's a wonderful idea. The question is uh, how um, uh, big uh, does it need to be? And I think that needs to be measured based upon those who uh, are in a position to offer it. We don't need to just put a bunch of money there. We need to know that it's uh, the amount that's actually needed. And so that's one idea that's being floated around. The other idea, and I kind of like this one too, is it piggybacks on this notion of the cooperatives. And so we know that, uh, you know, back in the day we had electricity um, in those areas where it was heavily populated, but in the sparsely populated area it was not. And so therein uh, uh, gave birth to the electric cooperatives. And so then one of the ideas is whether or not we ought not package something in such a way that the electric cooperatives can become providers of broadband. Uh, they've got a lot of the infrastructure right there, and so, so those conversations are being had. My hope is uh, that um, in the midst of all else that we're dealing with, we get an opportunity to really try to fine-tune some legislation, have good, robust debates on them, and, and do something meaningful. I think what I'd like to say and underscore why broadband is so critically important is that in recent years, particularly in healthcare and education, we've increasingly seen broadband as a means for delivering those essential goods. I mean, this whole broadband network infrastructure is almost, in my mind, approaching the status of a public good. Um, a couple years ago, we passed the Nurse Practitioners Bill, which expanded their ability to use telemedicine. The same last year with physician's assistants. Um, it, it really is a, a, a 21st century challenge to make sure that as these things mature and as healthcare can be delivered, you know, remotely through telemedicine and educational programs are delivered, um, it's simply inequitable that certain pockets and areas of South Carolina can't enjoy that. Um, Ronnie's right. In terms of the infrastructure itself, um, you do have a network of, of co-ops who have infrastructure that deliver power, and that could be a conduit. But as we go about developing this network, we have to keep equity in mind. We've got internet service providers, the private sector. You've got a lot of individuals and companies that are interested in providing broadband services. The problem is a lot of times there are market failures, that the cost associated with extending infrastructure out to a remote area doesn't deliver the immediate yield in terms of users. And so that's a challenge as well. But I think Republicans and Democrats alike recognize that going forward, it is absolutely essential that we do this because critical things like healthcare and education are increasingly going to be dependent upon broadband. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you for that. Many cities and towns across the state are striving to improve their local economies with infrastructure improvements and quality of life initiatives. 
Um, how can cities better position themselves as partners with the state to continue making those strides? And I would say in particular maybe with the infrastructure component and perhaps that ties in with the 1.8 billion surplus that we're looking at. Trader. <laughs> we promised her first next time. So. I know, but I'm getting that look. <laughs> uh, so I'll go first. You go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> now, look, I, I, I think the first thing, the, the most important thing, and this sounds somewhat obvious, but, but I think it's real, and that is, first of all, you need to have good relationships with your legislators. Um, and, and I'm sure most of you do, but not all of you do, and, you'll, and, and, and you know that. I think it's important that you, you have regular communication with your legislative delegation, with the House members and the senators. And just talk, um, and, and don't make every conversation one where you're asking for something, right? Establish a relationship with people so that there's mutual trust on both sides and that the legislators feel comfortable calling you when issues come up, but also you feel comfortable calling them when issues come up. Because I think establishing that relationship helps a whole lot, whether you're talking about infrastructure or anything else that's, that, that's going on, any challenges that you have to deal with. So. I think, I think that's important, but I also think it's important as part of that conversation that you share with them what your ideas are, what your vision is, where you want to go, where do you want to take your town, where do you want to take your city, uh, and have that conversation with your legislators to see if you can get some buy-in at the legislative level, because with the money that's on the table now, there are opportunities for that for, for some people. But I, I think that the most important thing is that you establish good relationships where you feel comfortable having regular conversations, even when nobody's asking for anything, even if you're just calling to check in, see how things are going. It's important to have those relationships. I mean, I think that's really important. I, I agree everyone, with you, yeah. for once. No, I agree. I, I, no, I, I agree with you. I don't disagree with, with uh, Senator Massey. He's right, relationships are, are important. But, but I think also what we need to realize is we're approaching 50 years uh, since home rule was declared to be the policy of the state. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have not devolved power down to the local levels in the way that was anticipated back in the 70s. And, and, I, and I think that from a, a, a couple of different perspectives. I think from both a fiscal perspective in terms of giving you guys the ability to deliver the services that your, your, uh, your citizens and constituents demand, um, but also in terms of things as basic as police power and, and individuals at the local level feeling as if they're empowered to work with their, with their council members and accomplish things that they consider to be important for the community. Um, we've seen in recent years some attempts to roll that back. We've seen in recent years some large stakeholders coming in and saying we don't necessarily like what these localities are doing in terms of their ordinances. And so there is that tension up here. You have that tension between what we promised we were going to do 50 years ago and what a lot of stakeholders who feel the pinch at the local level don't like. So relationships are important, but I think that we need to keep our eye on the fact that institutionally, and this goes back to Thomas Jefferson, that the people closest um, to those who are being governed govern best because they're the ones you see every day in the grocery store, in churches, at sports events, things of that nature. And I think we tend to have Columbia fever up here sometimes. We get up here and we think that since we're up here, we can solve problems. I think a lot of modesty and humility would be in order and deferring more down to the local level should be a prescription for that. Very good. Uh, we, we have a team who, who's over at the Capitol every, every day uh, Speaking our interest, and in, I think you'll know what the next question is because I'm sure they, they 
spoken to each one of you and your constituents have, uh, talking about the Bill H. Um, 4431 in the House, which is, which is a business license fee. It, it, uh, it threatens to cut over $400 million across the state from municipalities and, and towns that, that have business license with the changes. It's interesting because last year we had, a, a, I think, a consensus on the standardization because we agree is certainly we need to make the process smoother for those who are doing business in multi-counties or multi-cities and jurisdictions. So standardization is something that we have certainly been a, a, a proponent of through it. Um, but as it, as it has come up again this year, it, it really does face a crisis for a lot of cities, including mine in Aiken, with 17% of our revenues are, are off a of business license. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, give us your thoughts on the standardization of business license procedures and while preserving this important municipal revenue source for the cities. Well, I can tell you, it's in the house. I don't think it's gonna go anywhere. I think if it does go anywhere, it's gonna be changed so much that it, you wouldn't recognize it when it got out. I'd had my uh, research director do a lot of research on it yesterday because I don't even understand what they're doing over there with this. But neither do we. Well, thus, thus the reason <laughs> I don't. Do they. they don't understand <laughs> what they're doing either. Just so you know. But our consensus was that before it would ever get out of the house, if it ever got out of there, it would be changed so much it wouldn't be recognizable. And then when it got to us, it wouldn't go anywhere either. So I think it's stuck. It's dead in the water there. But if it ever got to the Senate it would not go anywhere, is, was our consensus on 4431. Sure. I, look, I th I, th there's a real tension here too, right? And, and I think there, is, there are some legitimate beefs that business has who operate in multiple municipalities or counties. Um, and that gets to your standardization point. Um, but there are also legitimate concerns that y'all have about how that affects your revenue streams. Um, I, I think there's a deal to be worked out there somewhere. Um, and, and I recognize, I understand the concern about that bill as it's introduced, but y'all, that bill as it's introduced is not going to be anywhere near what it is when it's finished. I mean, it's going to be significantly, if it passes, it's going to be significantly different because there's no way it's going to pass like that. Um, it's just not politically viable for something to pass like that, and it's not right to pass the way it is. Um, but, but I do think that there are legitimate issues that both sides need to consider, and I know there have been some conversations behind the scenes about this, there need to be more conversations behind the scenes to try to work this stuff out. Um, I will tell you it is a whole lot better if you work it out than if we have to work it out. Because at some point, these things bubble up. They keep, you know how it works, right? It's the same way at the local level. Issues bubble up. You can put them off for so long, but eventually they rise to the point where some, you get a demand, you've got to make a decision. And if you have to make a decision, we will make a decision but it may not be one that you like, or it may not be one that you completely like. Um, so I encourage you to keep talking about those issues. Recognize that, that business has a legitimate concern about some of those things, and I think business has to recognize that you have a legitimate concern. But I think there's a deal to be worked out, uh, but it's going to take more work. And, and, I, and I think it's important for you all to understand, too, the bill as it's introduced, with that financial impact, that is not going to pass. I mean, I understand the concern about that, but that's not going to pass. Uh, something may pass, but it will be, as Senator Sheila said, it'll be very different than what it is right now. 
I, I guess I would just uh, uh, echo uh, the sentiments expressed and and just add the caveat that you know I think if if home rule is to have any real meaning uh, that this is one of those instances where to the extent that we can we ought yield in a any great way. Um, Compromise, in my mind, has never been a dirty word. Uh, and so I believe that, that parties ought to work together, ought to um, talk in good faith, ought to uh, be as flexible as they can. Uh, but at the end of the road, for me, this is one of those issues where I give great deference to, um, uh, to home rule. with what my colleagues had to say. I'll say the Municipal Association and the Association of Counties has done a very good job on your all's behalf in explaining the fiscal implications for municipalities here. And I think, quite frankly, that's a conversation that hadn't taken place over in the House nearly enough. Senator Massey is right. At the end of the day, you know, a piece of legislation like this um, is going to move and eventually become law if all the stakeholders come to the table and come up with something that resolves the underlying tensions. And, and I think, and I've said this to just yesterday to my um, city, of Beaufort, city of Beaufort officials, look at this as an opportunity when a vehicle comes along to have a broader discussion about giving you guys the fiscal ways and the different revenue streams and the way to accomplish your objectives. I understand that the business license fee is something that you rely upon now of necessity, but maybe you can go ahead, the silver lining here is, okay, we're gonna have that conversation and make your points and make sure the fiscal impact is understood but take advantage of a vehicle to which other matters that are important to you are germane. And that would be broadening your revenue bases because what might work in terms of fiscal uh, you know, responsibility or fiscal means in the low country might not be the same in the Midlands and the upstate. So I do think this is a conversation that they take place over the summer and the fall. Um, this bill won't move this year. Even if it passes over from the House to the Senate, it's going to be behind education, it's going to be behind Sandy Cooper, and it's going to be behind the budget. And so absent any, any group coming together, now everybody comes together and they say this is something that resolves under, underlying issues, well then it can be passed. My sense of it is right now we're not at that point. And, and, and let me just add to that, don't, don't get comfortable with that, right? Don't, don't just assume that you've got the leverage on this and you can ride this thing out because you lose leverage as you go along on that. I encourage you to continue the conversations. This is clearly, there's clearly an issue with business. They have legitimate concerns. You have legitimate concerns, but don't just ride this out, right? I mean, you gotta keep working on it because if it looks like you're not working on it in good faith, that's not gonna work in your favor in the end. Very good. We're, we're winding down this session. We have just a few minutes. I would say to our, to our distinguished panel, I, I hope the lights haven't felt too much like an interrogation today <laughs> because, because we certainly are learning as, as you're sharing with us and uh, it certainly is meaningful for each one of us representing cities and towns. So I'm gonna leave with a question that may be unusual and even un, unparalleled from, from our association to, to you guys serving in the Senate. But as we close, if you would, uh, this will be our, our last chance to, but Share with us something that we as a body and as an association might could do to help you through the session, to add value to this session for, for what your passions and what you're looking for. What can we do to give value to what you guys are doing? Well, I'll start, and, and, and I'll say this. Um, all of you are involved with local government, municipal government, 
and, and you are here today um, because you're interested in learning more about those things that affect municipalities and how you can uh, not only be more informed, but can advocate on those things. But I, I encourage you also to rec take a step back and to recognize that you're also a South Carolinian. So the things that we talk about related to education, those things affect you too, right? Even if you're not a teacher, even if you're not a parent, even if you're not um, a school board member, those things affect you too. Because what happens with education affects all of us. Understand that what happens with Santee Cooper affects all of us. What happens with, with the budget, not only in how we spend money on municipal issues or, or capital is, issues, those things affect all of us. So I encourage you to, me, and you know this, you deal with many different issues at the local level, right? Well, the state legislature deals with many different issues as well. It is important that people who are intelligent, who are engaged, pay attention to all of those issues as best you can. Give us your input on all those things. Tell us what you think about the things that are affecting your municipality, but talk to us about other stuff as well. Because it is very difficult to do this job if you don't listen to people very well. You know that. But it's even more difficult because sometimes you hear a very loud group but it's a small group. You know that as well, right? So it, it is important that, that, that you, you are, look, this room is South Carolina. I mean, you, you represent all sorts of different viewpoints. You represent all sorts of different areas. You, you have ideas um, that are very important for South Carolina as a whole, not just for your municipalities. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. Take advantage of the relationships you have with your legislators. Share your ideas on different pieces of legislation because we could use the input. And I think you will find that if you establish those relationships, legislators will be very willing to hear from you on all sorts of things, not just municipal issues. I think that can be very helpful. It would be helpful to me. I guess we'll start in the middle and then work our way to, all right. to the edges. Um, <clears throat> so um, I think that when, when, when good things are happening, uh, to have it uh, said by us, uh, but also by you, is, is a benefit to us. So this idea of universal 4K, uh, in my mind, is huge. Um, it's monumental in, in so many ways. And there have been many that have, have tried to put that issue at the forefront and try to make it happen for years. And, and to hear the governor say this year uh, that he's in favor, I think, um, really gives us an opportunity to make that happen. Uh, the other thing I'd say is that um, I have a mayor in my area when I was running for office, and he said, uh, you know, Senator, I support you. I, I appreciate what you've done over the years and all those things. He said, but when I call you, uh, that's not just me calling. Uh, that's the city calling. And I think you all ought to remind us about the fact that when you call us, it's not just you. It's all those people who you represent. And so, so I, that not only applies with me to, to him, but it applies as it relates to every elected official in particular uh, that calls me. So if I've got five calls to return, and two of them are from uh, some of you, I try to return those first, uh, because I think that the impact of it more than likely has uh, a, a broader appeal and, and will benefit uh, uh, more than just you. The last point, uh, I'd like to piggyback on something that, uh, that Senator Sheely said, uh, when she talked about her passions, and, and one of the things that I've drawn and I've watched her work is, is this notion of, of helping the children and helping the elderly. 
I think at the end of the day, uh, that's how we'll all be measured uh, by how we treat the least of these. And that's those are the two um, uh, categories of folks that that I find to be the, the least of these are more vulnerable. And so for me, uh, to the extent that you all are focusing on those things that benefits those two populations in particular, uh, then you are nearer and dearer to me and the things that I believe in and I advocate for. Well, they've said it all. I'll just say once again, thank you for letting us come and, and be here and share with you. But, you know, let us know your good things. Let us know what's good happening in your town, in your city, and, and let us know the bad things. Call us, but don't just call us with bad things. Call us with good things. Let us celebrate with you, you know, and, and let us know when good things are happening because, you know, I like to share all those things. And, you know, I don't just represent Lexington County because I do the... Um, I am the chairman for families and veteran services, so I like to celebrate all over the state. I just like to celebrate. So, so let me, you know, let me know if something good's happening in your town or your city, and I'll come celebrate with you. I do have um, a foundation for children, so if you have a group home or a, a foster family organization in your town and community that needs some help, let me know. I'll come see them. We might, we might have a Build-A-Bear or give out tennis shoes or laptops, and we'll come do that in your town or community, so just let us know. I appreciate what my colleagues had to say, and, and to kind of uh, expound on what Senator Massey said, uh, local officials, municipal officials, an imperfect analogy here, are like the canaries in the coal mine. I mean, how, how are our legislation in regard to roads and bridges, education, health care, energy, whatever it might be, what's the practical effect in the communities? And, and what you guys can do for us is, is say, well, I know this is what you intended, and I know this was the problem you were trying to solve, but let me explain to you what I'm hearing from people on the ground about what your policies are. And that's really a, a good feedback loop for us, because a lot of times what sounds good in theory, what sounds good in concept, and, and, and kind of making policy up here, if we don't have feedback in regard to how that's impacting you know, people back home, we're not going to be delivering the product you deserve. So I really think that's something that your association, association of counties, local elected officials, can give us a reality check sometimes as to these are the things that you're doing, the business license fee legislation being a piece of it. Did you realize, for instance, that if you do this, that Hilton Head, which relies upon 35% of its budget, is going to be impacted? That, that's an example of how real-life application of what we're discussing can impact our decision-making. So I would encourage you to continue that um, and working together, we can do a better job for you guys. Very good. We're at the conclusion of our session, but at this time, if you would, would you please join me in thanking our distinguished panel? You did a great job. We appreciate it again. I hope the interrogation wasn't too hard. On this uh, your voice but, was soothing, and so. Yeah. But thank you for being a part of this. It was. It really is a help to each one of us as we go our ways, and I think. I think you'll see a, a, a more effort on our part to communicate and let you know not just the things that we're concerned about, but the good things too. So thank yeah. you. And with that, we end the session. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Let's stand and give them a round of applause, please. Where's the magic button?